Some people seem to move almost effortlessly from planning into action, but appearances can be deceiving. It all comes down to having a process that works for you. I'm your host, M. David Green. Hack the Process is a show about looking at the systems and processes that we build our lives around to support mindful, meaningful progress. This show explores ways that people get past that pivot point, from having a fantasy to putting something real out there into the world. If you're ready to stop planning and fantasizing and start taking action, let's hack the process together. Knowing what you don't want is sometimes just as important as knowing what you do want. That was definitely the case for Nicole Holland, who literally escaped from jail by quitting her job as a correctional officer to discover a more fulfilling way to make a living. Now Nicole hosts online summits about how to build a business and helps experts learn how to present themselves effectively on podcasts. In this episode, Nicole will discuss some of the possible paths she pursued and abandoned along the way to her current career, tell us what qualities she thinks make podcasts unique in the media landscape, and explain why the process of writing things down on paper is valuable regardless of whether you ever refer to those notes later. So today I'm speaking with Nicole Holland. She's the lady behind the scenes at interviewsthatconvert.com, and she has taken podcasting to the next level, helping people figure out how to present themselves as guests on podcasts and how to take advantage of podcasting. So, Nicole, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I'm really excited to have you here, too. We have a lot of guests on who talk about publishing information and getting their faces out there and getting their information out there, but we don't talk a lot about the medium itself of podcasting. I'm curious what attracted you to podcasting podcasting as something to focus on? That's an awesome question because I was not attracted to podcasting. I didn't even know really what a podcast was not very long ago. I was focused on really being a connector and a resource. And so I created an online summit where I brought together 30 different entrepreneurs who were really experts in different marketing strategies to help startup entrepreneurs figure out how to do it so that they're not like wasting time and money and energy and you know going down a path of you have to do this and you have to do that that's one of my big pet peeves so I like to connect people I like to support people and I like to be real with people so for the first summit I knew that podcasting was something people cared about didn't matter to me but I thought well if I'm going to support my people I'm going to find the best person I can to teach about podcasting so I did a little research and I found John Lee Dumas and I asked him to be on my summit and he said yes. So I interviewed him about why podcasting as a platform, how people can use that. And in the course of the interview, he kind of convinced me that I should actually look at it. So I did. And then, you know, I joined his program and I learned from him and I said, okay, well, I'm going to do podcasting like as an arm, right? It's not like I had no clue it would be anywhere near a big part of my business. I just thought it's just going to help me get my message out there. And then I started podcasting and I just loved it. I loved connecting with people. I loved the interviewing. I loved having my listeners connect with me and say, oh my gosh, this message like just changed everything for me. And I was getting that kind of impact that I always wanted to have, but I had no idea it could happen today. And so that happened really fast. And, and we're talking about like, I launched my podcast uh, on March 21st, 2016. So I'm not even a year in yet. And within that time, the other thing that I was noticing on my podcast was I get really fired up about quality and integrity and just like those little things that really make a difference to me. And so what I was finding was there were a lot of experts that I was ho having on my show who were just, you know, they were amazing and they'd been doing their thing forever and ever and they were on television and they were on the stage and everybody respected them, but they were terrible guests, not because what they had to say wasn't valuable, but it was because of the way they were saying it or because they would show up with like earbuds that were going, you know, or because they didn't have a plugged in connection and because they didn't get the nuance of podcasting versus these other platforms. And so what I started doing was teaching people, informing them, educating them. And people were like, oh my gosh, I didn't know this. Oh, how can you turn a listener to lead? You can do this one little thing and it's going to make that connection deeper. And I would give little tips. They're like, wow. So from that, I had people say, you need to teach this on a wider scale. And so I started writing a book 
And then I stopped writing the book because I was like, I'm too busy to write a book right now. But I had people saying, you need to teach it, like teach it now. So I started a program called Interviews That Convert. I beta launched that in the summer. From that, I got a lot of feedback. I've interviewed tons of podcasters about what makes a great guest to them, what the different etiquette is that they experience or don't experience with people. So I've been teaching that and literally just about from the time we're recording about a month ago, just over a month ago, one of my guests, because I'm always connecting guests, I'm saying, oh, do you know, or do you, if you're a great guest, do you want to be on more shows? I can introduce you. And so I was always making these introductions and it took a lot of time, but I was always looking, how can I support people? So I, I asked one of my guests and he said, well, I do, but I don't have the time for that. And I don't want to do it. Can you just like do the booking for me? And I was like, well, no, because I don't do that. But I can introduce you to these companies that connect people if you want it more like official. And he's like, no, 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 no. Then forget it. I just thought, you know, I like you. I like your style if you can do it. And then I stopped. and I was like, but I can. But if we're going to do this, we're going to do it my way. So I wrote up a proposal. And the next day he said yes. And so what I have done is sort of filled a gap that nobody else is doing in the industry in terms of supporting people to be guests on podcast and literally within the last month, the rest of my business has gone by the wayside. This is all I'm focusing on. That is amazing. And there are actually so many threads in what you just said that I want to pick up on. But the thing that really catches my attention about this is there are people out there who've caught the fact that podcasting is becoming a bigger thing these days. And they're talking to people about how to podcast. But there aren't a lot of people out there who are targeting the guests and explaining to them the difference between presenting yourself, say, on a television show or writing a blog post or doing an interview for radio and doing something specific for podcasting. And I'm curious what the nuances you've picked up on around podcasting are for that. Yeah, sure. So every podcaster is different, obviously. One of the biggest things, though, that is generally across the board different between television stage and radio, and I'm going to put those right in there in one bucket, versus podcasting, podcasting is very intimate. I mean, you and I are recording right now. We're looking at each other. I've got you on the big screen in front of me. And even though this is going out in audio, you and I can see each other. We're having a conversation. You and I are both in sweatshirts. Like this is not, you know, like this is not all fully produced, all made up. And it's not sound bites. You're asking me legit questions. You're letting me go into my story a little bit. And I think you want that. I think what a lot of podcasters want is the story. A lot of podcast listeners want the story. I think we've seen this move for so long, you know, even in, in television. I remember when The Real World, the first Real World came out on MTV. I remember The Truman Show, you know, and I remember people saying, oh, reality TV, that's like just for the kids. And, and now like that's what our society has looking at all the time and that it's gotten so beyond real. And I think we're at that point with podcasting versus other forms of media and interactive media that we are still having those really intimate conversations and we're connecting with people and the listeners feel like they're a part of this conversation. I often say it's like you and I right now are sitting at a cafe at a table and we know that there are other people at tables around us and they could probably hear us. They might be leaning in to hear more about what we're talking about but it's you and I having that conversation. And I think that one of a big turnoff for listeners that I have found, not just my show, but like across the board from surveys that I've done, is listeners don't want to hear more information. They've got the information. Webinar, great, give information. Stage presentation, great, give information. News, whatever. But when people put earbuds in their ears and they're going for their jog and they want to hear something, they want to learn, but they also want to be swept up in the story. And so I think that's the biggest nuance, if you will, of podcasting versus other forms of media. I love that you used the word intimacy right away, because for me, I know that the sense of intimacy that comes from the rhythm of a podcast conversation versus a tightly edited radio show is that, you know, that sense that there's just somebody curled up there inside your ear talking with you about something and it's private and you, you get a sense that you're listening in on a conversation between people. And I think you can teach a lot and you can still give value, but it's just through your own vulnerability. I think that's something also listeners tune out a lot if they feel like the person in the hot seat is just pitching or just going through 
you know, sound bites or, or telling the story they've told a million times. Like they want to feel you. They want to hear you. They want to understand you and they want to relate to you. And that's where the real transformation happens. I think another thing is that people don't get, it's one of those things that was really driving me nuts, is that a lot of people, when they think, I want to go out and, you know, at the beginning you said use podcasts, and, and that's what it is. It's like, use a podcast to get my message out there. Not leverage or interact or build a relationship, but I just want to, I want to see how many podcasts can I get on, and it doesn't even matter if it's the right fit. I'm just going to tell my thing, and people are going to listen. It's like, no, you have to find the right audience. You have to find the right host. You have to find the right synergy. And then people actually want to know something from you. And when people do that versus what is oftentimes done and what I'm trying to change is people going out and saying, okay, I want to use podcasts to get my message out there. So here's what my goals are. Here are the things I'm going to talk about. And then when the podcaster asks a question, no matter what the podcaster asks, the guest brings it back to what they want. They have an agenda. And that's one of the biggest pet peeves I've heard from podcasters. It's one of the biggest pet peeves I've heard from listeners. And I really don't understand why more guests don't get it. And that's what I'm trying to do something about. It's a challenging issue because right now podcasting, it's very broad and shallow. There are so many podcasts out there and not many of them have a very large listenership and each one has a unique quality. And what you're pointing out here is that it's not so much about finding the podcast that has the million listeners. It's about finding the podcast that has the 500 listeners who are exactly the people you want to speak to and who are interested in the way that that's going to be presented. Definitely. And I mean, I say to my clients too, it's like, obviously we want to be in front of millions of people, but let's be honest here. Would you rather be in front of 10 people who cannot wait to hear what you have to say and are on the edge of their seat? Or would you rather be in front of a hundred or a thousand people that are checking their smartphones and tweeting and, and don't really care what you're saying? And they're just there for the sound. Obviously, I mean, for me, that's a no-brainer. I would rather have 10 people who want my services, who want to know me, who want to share me. And that's the thing too is a lot of times people have the mistake that they can go on a podcast and sell. And I say that's as ridiculous as thinking that you can walk into a crowded stadium, raise up your hand and say, I've got knives for sale. Who wants knives, right? <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. So people have to go in for that connection, for that relationship. And you're looking to turn listeners to leads if they're qualified. You're looking to qualify people. You're looking to, to engage and provide value to the host, provide value to the listeners, and then invite that next step for the listeners who resonate. Rather than going in and saying, I have a book and it's coming out on this date and you can buy it on Amazon. Like who's gonna buy your book? Not many people. Whereas if you, if you give something of value and you ask for that conversation to continue, that's where the money is in the end. I suppose. And it, it does come down to that. But as I was saying, the problem with trying to narrow focus your podcast guest attendance is the fact that there are so many podcasts out there. And I'm curious how you're filtering through the wealth of podcast hosts that are out there as you try to find ways to recommend this is the podcast for you. This is the place you should be presenting. Well, for one thing, I've been building up over this past year because it was I did start podcast guesting at the end of 2015. And prior to that, I was doing the summit. So I was already making I was building relationships with influencers and people in the industry and people who had podcasts. So I've really been nurturing my community and providing value to the people that I know for quite some time. So that has definitely eased me into this transition. But that's just the beginning of it, right? What I generally do is it depends on the client. Then I go do research, just like you would for anything. Like, okay, so here is who the client's ideal client is. Here's who they want to speak to. Here's, their, here's a big one that I don't think most people do. What's their personality? Hmm. What kind of language do they use? How do they dress? How do they communicate? So we do a lot of research and then listen, actually listen to the shows. It's not just, hey, okay, this is in this niche and they have, you know, this many shows. No, we actually listen to each, to each show, not to every episode, but to enough to where we can say, 
is this person's personality going to be a good fit with this client? If it's a yes, awesome. Then we reach out and say, hey, are you accepting guests? That's the basic thing. That's what I've always done. It's like, I don't know about you, but as a podcaster, one of my big pet peeves is when people cold pitch me. They send me this big long email telling me who they have for my show or why they should be on my show. I'm like, I don't even know you. Who are you? Again, to go to an analogy, that's like being in a bar or somewhere where you see somebody across the room that you think you like and rather than going over and saying, hi, I'm so-and-so or sending over a drink or even like a flip of the hair, you just walk right over and say, let's go back to your place tonight. Like, who are you? What are you doing? You know, and that's what I get from these cold pitches. It's like people don't consider the other person, the podcaster and what they want and what their position is. So, so yeah, what I do is generally reach out and I say, hey, I like your show, right? Or this aspect or whatever it is. Are you looking for guests right now? And then once they say, yeah, we are like, awesome. I have some clients that I think might be a fit or I have a client who might be a fit. May I share their profile with you? Again, that's an ask. Yes, you may. Okay, perfect. So here you go. If you want them on your show, let me know what the next step is. And that's it. And all of their information, what I do is I create an online one sheet, basically, or a media page. And so then that way, the podcaster can go online. I have everything they need in order to vet that client there in one place. And then it's, again, it's in their court. What do you want to do next? And then I hear back from them and they say, oh yeah, let's get them on the calendar. Or they might say, I don't think they're a fit, but do you have somebody that's like this? And then I can say, well, let me learn more about who your ideal listener is. Let me learn more about who your ideal guest is. And so there's that just relationship piece. It sounds like it is a lot of relationship building. And of course, in marketing industries in general, the relationships really do drive the way business moves forward. You have a background in marketing that started long before you were working in podcasting. I'm curious how you developed that. Yeah, so it's actually funny that you ask because I don't really talk about this much. It was really my first field. I was very, very young and I worked in professional sports and entertainment. I did an internship in sports marketing and yeah, it was my first love being on the court and like looking up and being involved in the community relations aspect and the PR aspect. And we, we had a basketball league. And so we did different events where the kids from the league got to come out and go to a game and meet some of the NBA players. And like, we did all kinds of fun stuff like that. And I was like, I was a part of making that happen. That's cool. So I really fell in love with marketing at that point and the whole aspect of, I guess, the relationship and the community and just everything goes along with it. And I I remember reading Guerrilla Marketing by J. Conrad Levinson, I believe. And it just made so much sense to me. And it just really spoke to my creativity and and just made so much sense. But then I, I left it very fast. Like I went all over the place. I did all kinds of different things to where the most recent iteration of a job was I worked for the government as a correctional officer. That's very different. It's very different. Yeah, through lots of twists and turns. But it is it was my first love was marketing and sports sports marketing. And I, I wound up quitting my job as a CEO at the end of 2015. And just jumping in and saying, I got to learn this online stuff fast. And it was through my frustrations of trying to get the answers into it about how do I build an online business and investing in places that were a wrong fit for me, but listening to the marketing messages that were out of integrity, in my opinion, that were telling me big promises, but leaving out a whole bunch of stuff that I thought, this is not cool. And I want to find the people who are real, who are authentic and who are going to be of service rather than seeing how much they can get and take advantage. And so that was how my brand was born. That was how my summit was born. And that was the launch of my business about a year and a half ago. Now, if I think through that timeline, you left your job as a CEO in 2015. And by the end of 2015, you were already running a summit. So I'm curious that that's that's a very quick turnaround. I'm curious how you got that put together so quickly. I am an action taker. I'm pretty hard headed. If you ask my dad, Um, if I decide I want something, I go after it. And so I didn't quit with a plan. I quit because it was killing me. And I had made a promise It was January 1st, well, December 31st, New Year's Eve from 2014 to 15. It was the worst night of my life at work. It was a horrible, horrible experience. 
And it was probably around 3 a.m. that I said to myself, and I promised myself, I will not be here for another New Year's Eve. I will not. And then life goes on and you do your thing and time goes by. And it was, I guess, end of November, probably beginning of December. And the schedule came out for Christmas and for New Year's. And I was on it. And I went, oh, my goodness, I promised myself. If I promise anybody else something, I fulfill. But sometimes we forget those promises we make to ourselves, right? And I I said, no, I promised myself I would not be here for another New Year's Eve. And so I didn't want to leave my colleagues high and dry for Christmas because I knew, you know, a lot of people want to spend time, obviously, with their families. So I thought, I'm going to work through Christmas, and then I'm done, but I won't be here another New Year's Eve. And so I sent an email to my super saying, thank you for this being such a terrible place. (laughs) Thank you, because I needed it to be in order to recognize that I need to move on. And so here's my two weeks notice. I won't be coming in past the 28th of December. So that was that. So I didn't have a plan. And then to make matters worse, because I I hear a lot of people, you know, when they start things like, well, I have this issue or I have this problem that I can't overcome. And And that's why I'm not able to be successful. And it's like, no, it's not. That's just your story. So I'm in Southern Ontario. The day I quit my job, so it was a night shift. I got off work at 7 a.m. It was a Friday. Around 2 p.m., 3 p.m., not long after I woke up, my furnace went out. And it wasn't a fix. It was a, I needed a new furnace. (laughs) And that was pretty much all the money I had for my expenses. So it was very much a decision when I did when I made the decision I said I'd rather flip hamburgers at McDonald's than go in one more day and put on the blues. I quit. I thought no matter what, I'm going to get through this, and I did. But I knew, you know, I had no online presence. When you're working with really bad people, you don't want to say, "Hi, here I am and here's where I live and here's what I do and let me be public." So I had zero online presence. I knew nothing about social media. I knew nothing about online anything. And I just said, I have to learn really fast. So again, I I would just, I jumped in. I said, I'm going to hire the best coach I can find. I'm going to hire the best programs I can find, whatever. I need to learn and I need to learn fast. And I just worked around the clock towards my goal. And it was through that, that the advice I was being given, it wasn't necessarily, it was bad advice. It just wasn't a right fit for me. And that was where I thought, no, people need to know what their options are. If they're like me and they're coming out of a position that they feel trapped in and they feel like they have this goal and they have this desire and they're willing to put in the work, but they just don't know who to trust. They just don't know who to turn to. And so December, I quit my job. And then the idea for the summit came about a little bit earlier, but I really solidified it in May. I said, I started asking a few people that I had connected with online. I said, hey, if I do this, will you let me interview you? I'd never done an interview in my life. (laughs) I said, would you be willing to? And they said, yeah, sure. So I was all right. So it was about May where I said, okay, I'm going to do this. I fired the few clients that I had because they were the wrong fit. I was feeling miserable. And I said, no, I'm going to put everything I have 24-7. I'm just going to put it all into this platform. I'm going to build out this platform no matter what it takes, come hell or high water, and it's going to work. And, you know, that's how it did. <laughs> well, I can hear the determination in the story, but I would love to go back and slow down the player a little bit through that period from January to May, because it sounds to me like you did what a lot of people do. You found a coach. It doesn't sound like it was necessarily the right coach for you. So I'm curious about that process of choosing one and then moving on. And it also sounds like you learned what a summit was and how to put it together, which might not be something that you brought to the table to start with. So can you take me through that process a little bit more clearly? Absolutely. So I have to give a shout out to Marisa Murgatroyd, who created the Superhero Summits. She had a summit that happened in November of that year that was called the Author Speaker Coach Summit, Superhero Summit, or of 2015, right? So right before I quit my job, what had happened was... Like I said, we forget, like I had forgotten that timeline and that deadline, but it wasn't that throughout the year I wasn't thinking I need to get out of here. I mean, I got my real estate license. I was looking for anything. I was just desperate to get out of my current situation, but I wasn't strategic about it and I wasn't thinking about how to build something. I was thinking, where's a rope that I can hang on to? I think a lot of us, when we get feeling desperate, we will try a lot of different things and It can feel like failure because there are so many different directions that we're distracted by, but that is part of the learning process. Absolutely. 
I guess it was probably like the beginning of November-ish when I realized I wasn't a real estate agent. It just, I driving around and showing houses did not do it for me. Like not getting paid. I'm like, I'm never going to get out of this job if I keep doing this. But I used to be a coach. So at some point between when I was in sports marketing and when I was a CEO, I got my coaching diploma. I guess it was in 2003-ish. And so I had been a coach. I also, previous to that, had a business overseas where I did corporate training. So it's not that I had no business experience or no tools in my tool belt, if you will. So I thought I can start coaching again and just have a private practice. And, you know, all I need is a few clients to replace my income. So that was originally the thought. And again, having done corporate training, I loved working with groups. I did one-on-one individual intensives as well, but most of my training was in groups. And so I thought, well, where do I turn? Where do I get this information? And so I had Googled group coaching, I think. And I came up with a woman by the name of Michelle Shubnell. And she is all about teaching people how to do group coaching for transformation. And so I found her. I got on her list. It was the first time I'd gotten on a list. Like that was a whole new thing to me. I didn't even know what I was doing. I'm like, oh, okay. Ooh, something free that I can have information. Okay, great. And so then I started getting her emails. And I'm like, this is great. She's telling me all kinds of things I need to know. And one of those first emails was, hey, I'm participating in this summit. So I wound up going to this summit from Marisa Murgatroyd in November of 2015, where she had 10 different superheroes who were all talking about how to build this coaching practice. I think it was $197 to buy the package. I was like, sold. That's 19 bucks a session, sold. So I bought that and then each one of them sold something and I'm like, sold whatever like because I just also believe that in divine guidance and I think God's got my back all the time and even if I can't see what it is I feel like if I'm open to things coming to me if I ask I'll receive and so yeah I felt like wow this is amazing that just the timing and everything and great so now I can start learning and building up this and so all of the people that were presenting that had something really focusing on coaching I bought their things I'm like I'm a sponge. It was through that that I found the people that I was following and some people I followed turned out to be great people to follow. In fact, some have now become friends and some not so much. And the ones not so much were the ones that I hired beyond that free information and that low cost information. And again, it's not that they are bad. It's not that they're bad people. They're fabulous people. I was the wrong person for them. They were the wrong person for me. What got me was I'm very direct, if you can't tell. (laughs) And I'm also not afraid to invest in myself. So if you tell me I have something that's going to help you, Nicole, and I say, okay, tell me more because I'm looking for help right now. I'm looking for help. I'm articulating that I need help. I'm willing to spend money on help if it's the right help. But please don't waste my time or lie to me. And when they, they look at you and they say, this is the right fit, and I say, I think you're great. I see what kind of results you're having for other people, but here are my concerns. I'm not sure that I'm the right fit because of X, Y, Z. And you look me in the eye and you say, oh no, I am. I say, all right, here's my credit card. That was the issue. And so that's what happened. And because I made that commitment and I made a huge financial investment that was something that was on credit, right? Scary. Like, am I really going to get this back? Because I have no job and my water, not my water heater, my furnace went out and I had to replace, you know, all the life stuff. And so I said to myself when I was, I was resisting, I was having so many issues. It was really difficult. Everything they were saying to do, other people were like, woohoo, this works great. And I'm like, it's not working for me. And I would feel sick to my stomach even to go through the motions. And I kept moving through that because the coaching, because actually it wasn't them that were doing the coaching. It was, you know, hourly people that <laughs> that do their strategy sessions or whatever, which now I know all of this. And I know this is typical to the industry. At the time, I didn't. And I don't care for it. And so anyways, I was, I was meeting with these people and I was saying, here are my challenges and how do I get through this? And here's my goal. And here's what I know. And this is what I want. And so how do I overcome this? And I literally had one of their coaches say, this is so far over my head. I don't know anything about online business. I don't know anything about, like, I wanted an agency, basically. So they passed me on to somebody else. 
it was just so weird. So I kept getting feedback that it was just, I was doing it wrong. All I had to do was follow their simple step-by-step system and everything would be fine. And because I was trying to go against the grain, I wasn't following the rules and that's why I was failing. And so finally push came to shove and I said, you know what? And I had a ticket to fly. It was, it was not near me. So I had to fly out there every other month to do their program and I had already bought my plane ticket and I already had the hotel and everything. And I said, no, I'm not going, I'm not going. And I'm not doing this anymore. Well, first I said, I'm not going after that. I said, and, and it was a big financial commitment I made. And so I contacted them and I said, I don't want to move forward. And so we were able to part ways where, you know, they were satisfied, I guess, with the amount of money I paid. And I was satisfied that I wasn't going to be locked into paying anymore. I am confident that there are listeners out there who have either gone through that or who are terrified of exactly that. And that's one of the reasons that they might avoid even giving their email addresses to some of these people and signing up for their mailing lists. Thank you, because that is what I found. After I said enough, I started going into the mode of I want to take a stand and I want to bring resources to people without pressure And I want to bring authentic leaders to the table. And I don't want to give people a million choices. One of the things that was different about my summit was I only had one person talking about each topic. Now, with a lot of summits, a lot of people who teach about summits, which luckily I didn't learn about summits. I learned because I saw something and I thought this is what I like. This is what I don't like. So here's what I'm going to create. And so I started from scratch. But people who teach about summits a lot of times will tell you that you find your niche And then you just invite as many people as you can and they all talk about the same thing. And they'll have different things to say, but they all talk about the same thing and that's how you're going to be successful. And yes, those people make money. Those summits sell. They sell a lot. But my issue with that is that the results that the people who buy have are generally that after the hoopla is over, they're more confused than they were when they started. And from a place of integrity, I can't do that. And so what I decided to do, and, it, and I'm not saying that, like, if that's what other people want to do, I'm not judging them. They can do that because it's in line with their own integrity. For me, I know how I felt. And my avatar really is me, as I was, who is that person who is like, I know I'm capable. I'm confident in myself. I just need the tools. And I just need the guidance. And I don't need five people telling me differing opinions about one thing. I just need one thing. Like you talk about tools sometimes, right? Productivity and stuff. And like I love Process Street, right? Like it's just a great tool that I've been using for a while now to keep things in order and to keep my, you know, to do checklists and workflow. I have people all the time telling me, even just yesterday, I was in a conversation with somebody who loves Trello. You know, other people love Asana. And I've had assistants trying to tell me, oh, we need to get on Asana. And I'm like, but we don't. Like this is how we're going to do it. And, and sometimes I just use a Google spreadsheet. So there's a million different ways to skin a cat, if you will, right? And I hope nobody skins cats because I'm a cat lover. But for lack of a better analogy at the time, um, there's a million ways to do it. And so my thing is I don't need to be presented with a million thing, a million ways when I don't have one way. Just give me one thing. Teach me how to do it. Then once I have some competency, then I can look and see what the next step is. And there are other learners out there like you, and those are the people that you're targeting with your summit. I want to be clear. You're, you're talking about the summit, which is not the same as conference. And can you clarify that distinction, the way you're using those terms? Yeah, thank you so much for asking. Sometimes I forget, like, not everybody is understanding the same language, even though this is one of the things I teach my clients. Like, make sure you don't use jargon. A summit is based, an online summit, at least as I use the term, is basically an online conference. It's all digital and it's generally free. Mine is free for a limited period of time and then there's the upgrade that you can buy. Different people do it in different ways, but basically what it is is where the host or the organizer brings together multiple people to speak about a specific theme or topic. Oftentimes it is more like a niche. So for example, I'm participating in a summit right now that's called the Book Marketing Success Summit. And it is, her hook is it's the A to Z of book marketing. So it's four authors and she went through the alphabet and put, picked a title for A, B, C, D, E, and so on, right? So I think I'm I for interviews. But so she really focuses on authors and marketing for authors. So there's that kind of real niche 
thing. Mine was, I was more about the avatar, which was me, who was that person who gets easily overwhelmed, who just needs direction and wants to know that I can trust and count on somebody's word. That was really who my audience was. And they were startup entrepreneurs or newer entrepreneurs, I like to say. So I had a lot of people within their first few years. I've had a lot of attendees actually who are further along, but who maybe the online space is new to them. Lots of speakers and coaches. I've also had people who have successful online businesses, but maybe they want to branch into something like podcasting or summits or a different avenue that they hadn't already. So mine was all about, okay, like it's for the novice. Even if you're an expert in lots of stuff, you're a, you're a novice in something else. And so mine was really targeted to the novice. Is this interview style? Are these webinar style? Yeah. So different summits are different. They're definitely, they run the gamut. For mine, it's interview because that's what I enjoy. And a summit can be anything you want. Like I've seen summits and, and the word summit is really used in the online marketing space, but not so much in other spaces. So you may hear like a digital conference or an academy, but it's not one teacher. It's, hey, we're going to have master classes with 15 different teachers. So it's being done online every day and in every niche, but it's it, it can look and feel completely different as the person as the person who's putting it on wants it to be. So some people have done, I think it was the, what did Tom, Tom and Josh, I think it was called the Authority Summit, the Authority Success Summit, something like that, where they just, this was when we had Blab, and they just live streamed for like an extended period of time. It was nonstop for, I forget how many hours they had the, the speakers coming in. Wow, that's challenging. I know a lot of these are also pre-recorded so that it's easier to manage the time. Yes. And Marisa's were always live. Mine were always pre-recorded. There are people like Navid Moasis. He just did one called List Building School. So he didn't call it a summit. List Building School, he called it. And it was in part pre-recorded. And then there were live panels. And he had some live events as well. So I think we're seeing more and more live as time goes on. There were aspects of mine that I did different events on Facebook Live so that there was more audience participation and interaction. But the actual interviews themselves, I, I mean, it's a lot of work. So I did it pre-recorded and then had everything organized and ready to go. It sounds like a lot of work. And th there's sort of a business model that's come up around these summits where, as you were saying, give something away for free for a limited period of time, pay for a later access to it, probably some affiliate revenue from course sales for the coaches who come and present, stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. I would say about, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I want to say about a third of my revenue came from affiliates. So from speakers or friends, people who support me, even clients and students. I had a lot of people from the 2015 summit become affiliates for the 2016 summit because they had such transformation in the year from one to the next. A lot of people also don't do annual summits. That's not something I've seen very often. I do it every November 1st. For three years. I've committed for three years. So I got one more. I'm not sure after that if I'm going to continue. But it's something where for me, again, that was that relationship piece. I want to see people back. I want to see people build. And there's a lot of things that you can tie in. You know, you can tie in a membership group. You can tie in a lot of people will sell a larger ticket program at the end, or they will have an affiliate relationship with somebody who has a product or a program already that that is in alignment with the message that will be promoted at the end of the summit. So I imagine a lot of the challenge comes in finding those people who match the avatar and getting them aware of this and letting them know that it's there for them. That is an aspect of marketing that I know a lot of people find challenging. And I'm curious how you approached that. So the traditional way is through affiliates, through speakers sharing. But right from the beginning, I think one of the reasons I got great speakers right from Jump Street, having no business online, having no recognition, no network, no friends, no nobody, being a complete ghost was because I made the commitment to the people I asked to speak that number one, I would bust my butt to do everything I could to get an audience to them. Number two, I would expect nothing from them other than the interview. And number three, I let my personality come through. So even in that original, you know, PDF, and, and when I would reach out, it was just as I was saying earlier about like with podcast ghosts, it was, hey, 
I'm putting together a summit. I would love to interview you. Are you open to that? Can I tell you more? Right? If they said yes, I would tell them more. If they didn't respond, I wouldn't. I didn't throw stuff at them. So most of them said yes. If they said yes, I sent them a PDF that was basically like just me writing them a note, writing them a letter saying, hey, here's my deal. Here's my vision. Here's what I know. Here's what I need. Here's who I am. And that kind of came at the end. It was like, okay, where did this girl come from? And again, I used my personality. And I think I said something like, where did this girl come from? Everything was kind of bolded for like the different sections, you know? So it was like, where did this girl come from? And then jail, period. No, really, period. <laughs> and then I told a little bit about my story. And I think people liked that. And they're like, oh, wow, she's really going for it. And so those were the three promises I kind of made and the commitment I made to myself was that I would do anything I could and everything I could to make this a success because it was a long-term strategy and I wanted to build those relationships. So I played with Facebook ads. I just got creative. I turned everybody into a cartoon rock star for my hook, which was, you know, fun, a little bit different. I went to town on the graphics and I did everything I could to make people want to share. I told them they didn't have to share and I didn't expect them to share, but I made it as easy as I possibly could for them to share. And that's really what happened. More than anything is I had people who were like, this is great. You know, I've been in the industry for however many years and I have graphic designers working for me. And yet what you've just put together here and I would get really back to guerrilla marketing, right? I would get really creative about what kinds of different things I could do. So for this past summit, one of the things I did was I lined up probably about 30 interviews for myself in the months prior to air within the couple of weeks before the summit so that there was a lot of traffic being directed there. I used Facebook Live. I didn't even run Facebook ads this year. I boosted a few posts. So one of the things that we did this year was I had some of my speakers and it just it was all in gut, right? Like I had already done a lot of the interviews, but I had some and I was like in the middle of, I think it was with... I think I was with Dory Clark in the moment when I did it. And I go, hey, would you do me a favor? Can you just say like, hey, this is Dory Clark. And I just finished talking with Nicole about branding and come check out the Business Building Rockstar Summit. And she's like, sure. And then so I did that with a few people. And then for the ones who I had already interviewed, I messaged them and said, hey, I'm going to put together a reel. So if you want to participate in this, just send me a quick little video saying, who you are, what you talked about, and that people should come. And it was so much fun. And so I, I think I had about 15 little video snips that were stitched together and made a reel. And so people really liked that. People were happy to share that, stuff like that. And, and literally, like, most of the marketing stuff came in the moment. One thing I thought, let me get T-shirts made. Let me get T-shirts made that said, that say, I rocked the mic with Nicole Holland at the Business Building Rockstar Summit 2016. So I messaged everybody who was speaking and I said, hey, will you wear a t-shirt and take a snapshot of yourself that we can post on social media? People that said yes, I said, just give me your size and address. And I, I had them sent a t-shirt and the ones that didn't respond, I didn't bother bothering. It was fun. So I have like all these t-shirts and some of them were really funny, like Lou Bortone put on silly glasses and like some of my speakers just got really creative with it. And I did a lot of graphics, a lot of graphics and put them on Instagram. And do you do your graphics yourself? I did everything myself. Wow. That was the thing. That was a mistake I made on the first one, thinking that I wasn't good enough and thinking that I needed help, thinking I couldn't do it on my own. I hired a lot of people to help me with a lot of things that cost a lot of money and I didn't see a return. I was definitely in the hole on the first summit financially, but I learned so much and I built so many relationships. And so that was amazing, but it was a financial bomb. So this year I said, you know what? I want to see what happens if I just do it myself. And I did it all myself, <laughs> like to, and, and I don't want to do it again myself, like to the degree that I did it. And, and my thinking was also a mistaken thinking that I now know, but at the beginning of the summit, I didn't realize. I thought 2016 has to be bigger and better than 2015. Well, let me tell you, 2017 is going to be smaller. It'll be better, but it's going to be smaller and more intimate. It doesn't have to be bigger and better every time. And I, I guess because I had set the bar at a certain point, 
I thought I gotta over, I gotta get over that. And during the start and uh, the run up to the summit, everything was going wrong. You know, it's just the way it is. And you just have all these challenges, tech challenges, and life challenges, and all these things. And I was committed to fulfilling. And so it was a it was a lot of work. I quadrupled the money I made, and it spent like nothing. It was just my time. And I was so satisfied and I just deepened so many relationships and the people that attended got so much out of it. But I think that something I learned there was bigger doesn't always mean better. And what I have told myself and what I've told other people since the beginning, but sometimes I forget for myself in the moment when I get really busy is there are no rules. You can make it up as you go. So no, I don't have to do it to that next level. And that's why now I'm like, okay, I'm preparing myself. 2017 is going to be more. The first one I had 30 rock stars. This last one I had 41. I just did so many new things this last time and they were great, but they were a lot of work, a lot of work. So in the process of putting together all of these summits and all these things, you're having to get a lot accomplished. I'm curious what routine you follow in terms of managing all of that, because there's a lot to get done. That is a very good question. It's like something I question myself about pretty much not every day, but very regularly. In fact, just before we started this interview, I saw my friend John Lee Dumas has a new book coming out, The Mastery Journal, I believe it's called, and it's all about productivity. And I was like, oh, I like this. Um, I've tried so many different productivity tools and strategies, and I never stick with anything. But I always seem to get more accomplished than a lot of people do. I get that a lot of people will be like, wait a minute, you just told me on Friday you're going to build a new website and it's Monday and it's done. And I'm like, needed to get done. And I was excited and I was inspired. And so I would just do it. And then some things drag on. But what I try and do, and in fact, I mean, you can see me, the audience can't see me, but I'm going to hold up a little a notebook. I have notebooks everywhere. And this was a few hours ago. I just sat down and I'm like, let me brain dump all of the things that I really need to do right now. Like right now, if I was 20 different people, what would I get done? And I just, I'll just note. And then I may not even look at that again. In fact, I just tossed one in the garbage that was done like, I don't know, two months ago. And it was sticking up on my wall. And I put things up and I'm like, I'm going to look at that. And I never do. So I don't know why I do that. But I think it's just the actual writing down. And, and when I start feeling overwhelmed, like, oh my gosh, I have so much to do. And I go, okay. What do I want to do right now? Because if I normally, if you go, what do I want to do right now? What do I, I feel inspired to do? If you're not overwhelmed, it's like, oh, this is very clear. But for me, there might be 10 different things that I'm like, oh, I really want to do. Oh, wait, I really want to wait, wait, this. So when I put it all on paper, then I can go, ah, okay, great. So now I'm going to be present for an interview. And when I'm done, if I feel like doing something else, I'm not going to be in that space where I'm like, ooh, what was I supposed to do? I'm going to go, what was I really excited about doing before I did these next things? And I go, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm excited. Or I might go, I don't feel like doing that at all and just not do it. So I think, again, it just goes back to that awareness and, and, and allowance and just giving myself the grace to just be. I find that, that everything that needs to get done gets done. And oftentimes things get done really fast because it's out of inspiration and sometimes the things that take a really long time, somewhere along the way while I'm procrastinating, I find out it's a good thing because I'm not going in that direction now anyhow. That would have been a waste of my time. One of the things I've noticed with a lot of very productive people is they're not using the productivity tools out there. You are using paper for your productivity tool. You also mentioned that you use Process Street. I'm curious what other tools you've, you've come across that have come in handy while trying to run this business. Definitely. So I love automation. I love tools. I love hacks. I love your show. But from a creative standpoint and a personal management, it's paper. When I have to get somebody else on board, whether that's an interview guest or whether that's a VA or anything, then I need those tools because that's where the clarity is going to come from. I also love doing templates and I also have the same process for my clients or I have the same vetting process for show hosts that I refer my or that I book my clients on stuff like that I, a lot of times I'll use paper to for that creative thing okay I'm gonna try this I'm gonna try this I'm gonna try this and once the light bulb goes off and I'm like I'm on to something 
I'm going to create a process for this. I'm going to put it, now it's going to be digital. Now it's going to be something that I can eventually automate, but I don't get married to it. It's like I put it on something and then I give myself time to test it and see what's working and where the holes are. And then it's like, yes, now I see. And then I develop it further and then it's like, okay, automate. One of my favorite tools for that is called Acuity Scheduling. It's a calendar scheduling thing that integrates with just about everything. And it also has inside of it, it allows for a payment processor. It allows you to make internal forms. It allows you to make forms that people have to fill out in order to complete bookings. It is like, there's a free version, um, which is very robust, but doesn't come with automation. I have the paid version. It is $10 a month. It's like you don't even have to pay an extra processing charge to them for money that goes through them. It keeps records of everything. I can create multiple reminders for people. I can create a follow-up. I can do add-ons. I can do gift packages. Like I'm such a geek on it. I love it. And it's so unknown, relatively unknown. Or a lot of people think it's just another scheduling software and it's not. It's a powerhouse. It literally can replace a front office staff. And that's what it was built for. That's amazing. And I, I love the passion that you bring to that too. Because I, I know how it is when you fall in love with a tool. <laughs> and you know what's also about it I like is that the owner, I'm just such a fan of his. I love him so much. His name's Gavin Suklinski. And he built this to solve a problem for his mother. His mother was a massage therapist and she was having people try, try to reschedule things and last minute and it was like, you know, affecting her life. So he's like, how can I solve my mom's problem? And then little by little, more people were getting to use it. He's built up his team and they're so under the radar. And like you go in and it'll say, need help? Call Ghostbusters. Just kidding. Click here. And they're just fun and quirky and they bring their own personality in. And like the help, the staff, you know, you see pictures of each of them and it's just a very human service. And they take off, you know, they take off holidays and they have short working hours sometimes. And they're like, we're real people. And I just love that. I can see they had you on their radar. Yeah. <laughs> So there are people out there who are definitely going to want to find out more about you and your business. How can people find you online? Yeah. So the best way people can find me online is go to interviewsthatconvert.com forward slash HTP. There's little freebie there for you if you are interested in interviews. If you're not interested in interviews, but you just want to let me know that something resonated in this interview or you just want to tell me something, then if you scroll to the bottom of the page at interviewsthatconvert.com forward slash HTP, you'll find all of my social media linked up there. Fantastic. And I have a feeling people are going to be reaching out to you about this because you have a lot of useful information for them. So thank you so much for sharing all of that with us today. You too. Thank you so much. Are you glad you listened to this episode of Hack the Process? Then take an action now. Make a note about something you just heard and how it's going to help you as you hack your own process. And let me know about it. This has been M. David Green, your host for Hack the Process. You can tweet me at Hack the Process, leave a review for the show on iTunes, and visit hacktheprocess.com to check out the show notes for this episode and join our community of process hackers. Thanks for listening.